0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to session 15, our final session in the book of Esther. Today, we're going to be discussing chapter 9, verse 20 through chapter 10, verse 3. Now, I hope you've had as much fun studying this wonderful book as I have. I mean, it is a book that has taken us to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But through it all flows the undercurrent of God's sovereignty and his master plan coming together in perfect harmony. I believe we've learned through this study four main principles. First, God takes care of his own. I mean, God made a covenant with Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, back in Genesis chapters 12 and 15, that he would make Abraham into a great nation and that he would preserve them. So when Haman enacted the law to destroy the Jews, God raised up Esther and Mordecai to fight for the people of God, and he saved his people from destruction. Secondly, God looks for willing people more than successful people, meaning that we don't have to have it all together before he can use us. God is all about on-the-job training. We don't need to already have the necessary skills to do the job. He will give us what we need. He wants people who are open and willing to follow his lead. Thirdly, God is just and righteous, and he will punish evil. Haman and the enemies of God's people throughout the Persian Empire were completely destroyed. And the final principle found in this book is that God is worthy. He is worthy of our praise, our adoration, and celebration. So let's read the final verses in this book, Esther 9:20 through 10 chapter um, chapter 10 verse 3. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews in all of King Ahasuerus's provinces, both near and far. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the Adar every year because during those days the Jews gained relief from their enemies. That was the month when their sorrow was turned into rejoicing and their mourning into a holiday. They were to be days of feasting, rejoicing, and of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the practice as they had begun, as Mordecai had written them to do. For Haman, son of Hammedatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. He cast the poor, that is the lot, to crush and destroy them. But when the matter was brought before the king, he commanded by letter that the evil plan Haman had devised against the Jews return on his own head, and that he should be hanged with his sons on the gallows. For this reason, these days are called Purim, from the word poor, because of all the instructions in this letter, as well as what they had witnessed and what had happened to them. The Jews bound themselves, their descendants and all who joined with them, to a commitment that they would not fail to celebrate these two days each and every year according to the written instructions and according to the time appointed. These days are remembered and celebrated by every generation, family, province, and city so that these days of Purim will not lose their significance in Jewish life and their memory will not fade from their descendants. Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote this second letter with full authority to confirm the letter about Purim. He sent letters with assurances of peace and security, to all the Jews who were in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in order to confirm these days of Purim at their proper time, just as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had established them, and just as they had committed themselves and their descendants to the practices of fasting and lamentation. So Esther's command confirmed these customs of Purim, which were written into the record. Chapter 10 King Ahasuerus imposed a tax throughout the land, even to the farthest shores. All of his powerful and magnificent accomplishments and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank with which the king had honored him, have they not been written in the book of the historical events of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus. He was famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of all his descendants. So the Jews had defeated all of their enemies throughout the empire, and this led to impromptu celebrations. So Mordecai, who had become second in command, decided to make these celebrations an official holiday from now on. It went from spontaneous celebrations to an organized yearly festival called Purim. Mordecai's decree stipulated that the 14th and 15th days of the month, the month of Adar, would be commemorated as days that the Jews got relief from their enemies and their sorrow was turned to gladness and mourning into a holiday. And that's what God always does for his followers. He turns sorrow into joy. Now, there may be those who are at at this point thinking, well, maybe that's true for other people but not for me. I mean, that's not been my experience. My sorrow continues, and joy seems far from me. And if you feel that way, you are not alone, because David was the apple of God's eye, a man after God's own heart, and even he felt that way. In Psalm 13, he says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? So clearly David also struggled with times of prolonged difficulty and despair and wondered where God was in all of it. Yet he ends Psalm 13 by saying, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will praise the Lord for he has been good to me. So what is he saying here? Well, I believe it's that even though he feels like God is not listening or attentive to his needs, that is not what is true. The truth is that God loves us and always will. And we can rejoice even in sadness because he saved us. I mean, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins so that when we put our faith and trust in him, we will be saved. God is good and he will take care of us no matter how things may look. So if you're in a place where it's difficult to find joy, be patient. It's coming. And trust that even in sorrow, God is at work. I mean, when the law was passed authorizing the destruction of all Jewish people, men, women, and children, they thought all was lost. They didn't know that God was working out a plan for their deliverance behind the scenes. So between the sorrow and the joy came a time of waiting. I mean, joy and deliverance doesn't always come right away. It doesn't always come immediately on the heels of pain and difficulty. And so it's in the waiting for joy that we're sometimes tempted to doubt God's presence and his provision. But I believe it's in the waiting that God does his greatest work because we're more focused, more attentive, and more aware Better able to see that when God's deliverance does come, that it's from God. Therefore, He rightly gets the glory. So the Jews were to share their joy with each other by feasting, giving presents of food to one another, and gifts to the poor. They had received such great mercy, so they were obliged to share mercy by ensuring that no one was left out of the celebration, not even the poor. The celebration was focused on remembering God's deliverance and helping those in need. So what began as spontaneous celebrations became an annual observance. And Mordecai made it an official annual holiday on the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. Now they celebrated both days, remember, because the Jews in the city of Susa had an extra day to defend themselves. So the Jews in the the provinces ended their fighting on the 13th. And the Jews in Susa ended their fighting on the 14th. And so in verse 23, it says that the Jewish people agreed to do this, to set aside the 14th and 15th of Adar every year as a time of celebration and remembrance. A remembrance that Haman, the enemy of the Jews, plotted against them to destroy them. That he cast the poor, or the lot, to determine which day to destroy them. But when the matter was brought before the king, He commanded that Haman be destroyed and his evil plan against the Jews return on his own head. Verse 26 says, For this reason, the two days of celebration would be called Purim. Now, Purim is the plural form of the word poor, which is the lot that Haman cast to determine the time for their destruction. So the very name of the holiday would be a reminder, a reminder of the failure of Haman's plan and the success of God's. Matthew Henry suggests four main reasons for the festival of Purim. One, to honor God as the protector of his people. Two, a confirmation that God holds true to his covenant. He is not only covenant maker, he is covenant keeper. Three, an, an invitation for others to join, in his fa- join with his family. And four, an encouragement to God's own people to cheerfully depend on his wisdom, power, and goodness in the midst of difficulty. Wearsby says how easy it is for the next generation to come along and take for granted the blessings that previous generations struggled and sacrificed to attain. But the Jews didn't make that mistake. They established the festival of Forum, to remind their children year after year that God had saved Israel from destruction. And how important that is, how important it is to celebrate what God has done in our lives, and to pass on Christian traditions and beliefs to the next generation. Jewish people still celebrate the festival of Purim today. Now they begin the festival with a day of fasting, on the 13th day of Adar, which is around the month of March on our calendar. They fast because, as they did in verse 31, in order to commemorate the day that Haman's evil decree was issued. Then they go to the synagogue, where the book of Esther is read aloud. And whenever the name of Haman is mentioned, the congregation makes loud noises by stamping their feet are shaking this wooden rattle-typed thing, no- noisemaker, like a rattle called a grieger. They do this in order to blot out the name of Haman. Then they all join together for a feast, a holiday meal. They also give large food gifts to one another and give charity to the poor. Verse 29 tells us, that Queen Esther and Mordecai both sent letters to every province in Persia establishing the festival of Purim. Verse 31 says they confirmed this celebration just as they had committed themselves to the practices of fasting and lamentation. So the Jewish people were to take their obligation to observe the joyful celebration of Purim just as seriously as they had committed to the days of fasting. Now this is telling because it shows us that God is as much about feasting as he is about fasting. And I think Christians can sometimes get the idea that following God is about total self-denial, rejecting every bit of happiness and joy that comes our way, that we'll somehow be more righteous if we shun pleasure and live lives of stoic obedience. But nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, yes, we're supposed to deny ourselves and put others first, but deny greediness, self-centeredness, selfishness, Not happiness, joy, and blessings. I mean, think about it. Where did Jesus' first miracle take place? At a celebration. At a wedding celebration. How is the kingdom of heaven described in Matthew 22? As a king giving a party. A wedding feast. Isaiah 25.6 says, The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all his peoples, a banquet of aged wine and best meats. And in Revelation 19:9 9, it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So being a follower of God can be a thrilling and exciting blast if we will only invest ourselves into being a part of what he's doing. Now in verse 32, it says that the customs of Purim were written into the official record so that these days would be remembered. Spanish philosopher George Santayana said, those who don't remember the past are condemned to relive it. I mean, important words, and I believe our culture gets that. I mean, I think our culture really takes that to heart, but I think there seems to be more of a focus on the mistakes of history. Now, granted, there are many, but I believe it's also important to focus on the successes and triumphs of history. I mean, yes, humans have made many mistakes and that have led to tragedy, but There are also faithful and courageous followers of God, like Esther and Mordecai, whose actions led to freedom and peace for many. And I think this deserves to be remembered and celebrated. It's important to remember what God has done for us in the past, because it gives us hope for our future. It reminds us of who is in control and draws us closer to God. It gives us confidence and strength and enables us to better cope with future circumstances, because if God was there for us then, then He will be here for us now. And most importantly, remembering and commemorating what God has done brings Him glory, and glorifying God should be our main goal as Christians. Now, in chapter 10, it opens by saying that King Ahasuerus imposed a tax throughout the land, even to the farthest shores. Now, one commentator suggests that the king might have been reinstating the taxes that he stopped imposing after Esther became queen in verse 2.18. Now, whether this is the case or not, the text does seem to make the point that the king prospered greatly during the time that Mordecai was his second in command. The king was able to receive tribute from territories bordering all the way to the eastern Mediterranean, implying that the king's power was great and vast. And Mordecai being second in command meant his power was as well. Verses 1-3 through says that Mordecai was raised to greatness by the king, and he was highly esteemed and revered by the Jews, and he sought the welfare of the Jews, their prosperity and well-being, which was the exact opposite of what Haman did when he was in that position. Haman had achieved the height of success. He had already done so much good for so many, Yet, he continued to do good, even now. I mean, he could have thought, you know what, I've done enough. I'm done. It's me time. But not for Mordecai. For him, there was no statute of limitations on doing good. And he was revered for it. He lived his life according to the principles of truth and righteousness. And as one commentator says, advancing the glory of God in whatever position God placed him. So as we close out the book of Esther, I believe we can say unequivocally that God can do great things through ordinary people. I mean, it's easy to look at Esther and Mordecai as somehow detached from reality, that God did great miracles because they were great people. I mean, I don't think any of us ladies will ever be a queen, and I doubt any of you men will ever be second in command of an empire. But that doesn't mean that God still can't do great things through us. I mean, remember, God didn't choose Esther and Mordecai because they were special, but they allowed God to make them special by following his lead and participating in what he was doing. And see, I think that's the key, joining God in what he's doing. I can remember when our kids were young. Whenever Greg did a task around the house, he brought the kids with him. I mean, whether he was changing the oil in the car or doing a construction project, he brought our children along included them in what he was doing. Now, it's not that Greg needed their help. I mean, they were only children, but he knew that having them join him would have far-reaching effects. It gave them confidence. It taught them new skills. It bonded their relationship and hopefully made them feel special and valued. Greg's dad did the same thing for Greg when he was a boy. Now, the kids weren't forced to do this either. I mean, Greg simply said, hey, This is what I'm doing today. Why don't you come and join me in the task? Come and be a part of what I'm doing. And see, I think that's what God does with us. He invites us to join Him, to come and be a part of what He's doing. I mean, it may not always be easy, but we will gain confidence. We'll grow stronger. Our bond with the Lord will grow deeper. We will have a sense of fulfillment and can pass on what we've learned to others. We have learned such great truths from the book of Esther, haven't we? So the challenge this week is to meditate, to meditate on the four main principles that God takes care of his own, that God is looking for willing people to join him, that God is just and will punish evil. And finally, God is worthy. He is worthy of our adoration and he is worthy of our praise. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.